Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. If you have a Bible this morning, we're in Ephesians chapter 2, and so I invite you to turn there. If you don't have a Bible, there's some on the sides of the tech booth. Feel free to grab one, and uh, you can borrow it if you need to borrow it, or take it with you if you need to take it with you. If you're a user of the Bible app, you can open up <clears throat> excuse me, uh, that app right now, track along with our scriptures, sermon notes, all of that important stuff. Uh, uh, you can find that either by location or linking off of one of our social media uh, social media sites. So uh, today uh, we are uh, moving forward in this uh, series called Go Live, talking about kind of who we are as a family, looking at these strands of DNA um, in our church family. Um, and uh, we started kind of with the broad umbrella statement that we make apprentices to Jesus Christ who live, who live. Don't miss that part. They live. This is about a life, okay? It is not about an organization. It's not about a religion. It is about a life, okay? So we make apprentices to Jesus who live to do these three things, to pursue God, um, uh, to love well, and to serve the world. Those three things, pursue God, love well, and serve the world. And so um, uh, with that kind of in mind, uh, we've been starting with this, uh, the first little part about pursuing God. The first strand of our DNA was gospel transformation, that you and I are changed from the inside out um, as we live, as we know, as we believe, as we follow Jesus. He is the way uh, not only to salvation with God, but the transformation that God wants to bring in our lives. We are changed from the inside out. It, it, it is not a matter of uh, something from the outside kind of forcing its way on us and making us conform to something, but God comes into our lives and changes us, transforms us from the inside out so that we live out the things that he said are best. Second part of that pursuing God was, how does this transformation happens? Well, we are saturated with the scripture. We are a people who are soaked in, who are stained by, who look like, smell like, walk like, talk like, whatever like um, the, the Bible. And as I said last week, whenever we get squeezed, Bible comes out of us. And I asked this last week and I'll just ask you again, anybody get squeezed this week? So we want to be a people so steeped in, so saturated with the scripture uh, that when that happens, Bible is what flows out of us. Last week, we turned the corner from uh, pursue God uh, to love well, and we started talking about how neighbor is a verb. You and I think about neighbors as nouns, but really, the Bible thinks about neighbor as a verb, that we make neighbors. We, we are neighbors, so to speak, like we actually neighbor one another. And so we talked about how when we stop and see those who are around us, those two things are equally important. Stopping, we have to be not so busy that we run past people and we have to see them both. So we have to stop and see. But when we do that, uh, that we then have the opportunity to make a neighbor right there. We can neighbor somebody. And uh, just this week, I heard from somebody, uh, they were in the 830 service. Uh, it's funny. And I, I mentioned, you know, do you have somebody on your way that uh, who's grass needs mowing. And funny enough, they did. And so they literally showed up the next day and mowed the person's grass and then sent me this text exchange. Oh my gosh, we can't believe that y'all would do something like that. Unbelievable. It's just so cool that God put that uh, in their path. And so a neighbor's a verb. And today we're talking about loving well with church as family. That's the um, theme for the day, that church is family. And so uh, with that in mind, when you think about family, when I say the word family, there's some things that come to your mind, right? Some stories, some descriptors, some memories, 
some laughs, some, some not laughs, maybe tears even. I mean, there's all sorts of things that come to your mind. That's true with any family. It's certainly true with church. Some of us come in here um, with, ter- with terrific experience. Some of us come in here with terrible experience. Some of us were basically born inside of a church building. Uh, we've never known life apart from it. Some of you, maybe this is your first time in a church building ever. Um, what I want to tell you is that church is not a building. It's not an organization. It's family. That's what it is. And that's the topic we're going to take up uh, today. So in Ephesians uh, chapter 2, it is a place, as family is supposed to be, it is a place of intimate belonging. Verse uh, 11 of chapter 2. Here we go. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. So just for clarity's sake, Paul is uh, just pointing out here that in that first century, there were Jews and there were Gentiles. Jews were circumcised, Gentiles were not. And basically that was the label that everybody wore and and, uh, referred to one another as, uh, which is made in the flesh by hands. Verse 12, remember, and then he puts five devastating things on the line here, that you were first separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. Five things there. And what I want to talk about as we get started with church's family, it goes something like this, uh, that when we think about it, um, when we think about church's family, where do we begin? And we begin here that outsiders become insiders, Outsiders become insiders. If you're a chemist in here, that little arrow means yields. That's what we're talking about. Outsiders become insiders. Outsiders are those who are distant from God. And and it is the distinction, if you will, that, that made folks outside was the law. And let's say that and let's say it clear that law is what makes outsiders. And here in verse 11 and 12, 12 in particular, where he lays out these things. All of these things are re- related to the law that God had gave. Separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. These folks were ostracized spiritually, relationally, racially even, um, socially, even physically. There were marks on the bodies of Jews that were not on the bodies of the Gentiles. Law is what makes outsiders. Here's the thing. Outsiders become insiders not by law, not by effort, not by religion. How do outsiders become insiders? insiders. Look at verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been what? Brought near. How? By what means? By the blood of Christ. Law makes for outsiders, but grace makes insiders. Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad for that? That there's not a performance. There's not a box. I mean, a a list of uh, uh, boxes to check. There's not a religious moment that you have to have here. But instead, what we have is we get to experience the grace of God through Jesus in Christ Jesus. Those who were far off from God have been brought near. How? By His blood. What does that mean? Um, There was a a, a barrier, if you will, that kept us from God, that kept us alienated from him, and it was our sin. And so Jesus came and he died in our place, the death that we deserve to die, and he rose again to give life. And the good news in, excuse me, the good news is, is that you and I don't have to perform to get God's approval. Jesus has already performed, and it is by him that we have forgiveness and access and all the beautiful things that come with life in the kingdom of God. Grace is what makes insiders. Not law, grace. 
Nobody gets born an insider. There's no special privileges here. Each person must personally respond to what God has done for us in Jesus. Every person must do this. And that is the only way to become an insider. The only way. And the, the kind of last part of that goes something like this, that turning to one means turning from the other. What do you mean by that? I mean, you can't have a law life and a grace life and try to keep those things both together. You can't have a, a, an outside life and an inside life and try to keep those things together. You can't, uh, when, when you and I become, if you will, when you and I become believers and followers of Jesus, we get a new family tree. Now, for some of you, that sounds like a really good deal. Some of you are like, oh, okay, well. But here's the thing. There comes a point where... Um, um, where everybody has to choose which tree is going to be primary for you. Whether it's going to be Jesus or whether it's going to be uh, pleasing uh, some other group of people, whatever they may look like. Uh, Jesus is, is known for, and the church is known for, kind of being pro-family. What I want to say to you today is that he's so pro-family that he demands allegiance to him above everything. He said it this way in Luke chapter 14. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, uh, if anyone does not come to me and what's that word there? Does not what? Does not what? Hate. Okay. So the Greek word for that, if you like this kind of stuff, Greek word for that is the word M-I-S-O, miso. Okay. It's where we get misogyny and th- that phrase there. Uh, so, and you know what the best translation for M-I-S-O, miso is? Anybody? Hate, that's exactly the right translation for it. There comes a point where my allegiance to Jesus looks is so profound that everything else looks like hate. And you can't have it both ways. Jesus said it this way in another place. You can't serve two masters. You either hate the one and love the other, despise the one and cling to the other. You can't serve them both. So turning to one means turning from another. And we, when we... Um, receive Jesus into our lives and take him into our lives when we put our trust in him and he forgives us of our sin. Our allegiance belongs to him. I say that because in here, some of you have gone through or you are going through or you will go through a place where you have to choose whom you're going to disappoint. Will you, uh, in order to continue to follow Jesus, you're going to have to say no to this group of people and they may be critically important in your life. You have to choose in that moment who you're going to disappoint. Is your allegiance his alone? And outsiders become insiders. So, second part in in verse, uh, starting in verse 14. Uh, For he, Jesus, he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. That is a mouthful, so let's just pause right there for a second. What we're talking about now is that not only are outsiders becoming insiders because church is family, outsiders become inside, but also um, uh, two become one. We have two, and God makes them in Jesus into one. What's he talking about here in this passage? He's talking about Jews and Gentiles now becoming one. In fact, there was a guy in the second century BC in the 100s named Clement, and he writes and he says, we are a third race. What? Not Jew, not Gentile. We're Christians. That's what he said. It's it's an interesting way to think about that, two becoming one. 
And that's what he's talking about here. Um, the division that separated us, the law that the, the distinguished Jews and Gentiles, the law that made demands, different demands on Jews and Gentiles, uh, all of that was destroyed. Division was destroyed by his death. That's what verse 14 and 15 say. And, and the way to be reconciled, for you and me to be reconciled, not only to God, but to one another, and to live is for Jesus to be our peace. And that's what he wants. He wants to be our peace. Instead of uh, um, uh, racial division, that he wants peace peace. Instead of spiritual division, he wants peace. Instead of of relational division, he wants peace. Jesus um, is the way for us to be at peace, not only with God, but with one another. I think the danger right here is to substitute something um, for real reconciliation. I think that the the danger specifically would go something like this. Um, I'm going to settle for getting along and tolerating you instead of actually being reconciled so that we can walk together. Here's a good picture for this. You ready? Um, Anybody go down to the place in Dickinson and drive the go-karts? Raise your hand real high. Yeah, that's what I I like that. Thank you so much. Okay, you do that. You get in, and then you look at the person next to you, and you think to yourself, I'm going to smoke you. And you're right, and I just, you get in. Okay, so this is the thing that you have to think about, okay? Like, it's awesome. Like you get in, it's awesome. Rev the engine, light goes on, or the guy says go, or whatever, and you throw. I mean, just step on it as fast as you can, and you go zooming around the track, right? And you're laughing, having a good time. You're looking at the people next to you, thinking all the while, "Hey, yeah, yeah, it's good we're driving together. I'm gonna kill you, but I mean, it's good we're driving together." And so you drive together, and it's fun, and you're going the same way, and you're having a good time, and things are moving like they're supposed to be. It's everything's good, right? And you're enjoying yourself. And then there comes a point where the turn happens, and you're not quite in the groove, and somebody's a little close to you. And you turn and slide a little bit and they tap you. Just tap, tap, tap on the bumper there and you go spinning out, right? And you think to yourself, this is not much fun anymore. And you grumble. And you're trying to figure out, do I turn it all the way or how does that work? How do I get out of this jam that I'm in? And they have to come get you and all this kind of stuff. That to me is a great picture of substituting um, tolerance and just getting along or even affinity with genuine reconciliation, genuine intimate belonging, genuine expression of church's family. Hey, we're all cruising along here, going the same way. Isn't this fun? And then something happens and you spin out just a touch and then you're like, oh, I'm done. That's not reconciliation. That's not connection. That's not intimate belonging. That's what God wants for us. And I'll just go so far as to say this. This is what you were made for. You weren't made to walk alone. You weren't made to to kind of spin out and just be out there on your own frustrated and angry. You were made to be reconciled to God and reconciled to the people around you. Don't settle for tolerance. Don't settle for affinity. Don't settle for just getting along. Reconciliation is what makes a family. A a new kind, secondly under this, a new kind of people gets created. God doesn't just make a new person, but he makes a new kind of people. Look at verse 15 and 16 again. By abolishing the law of commandments, expressing ordinances, this is the part I want to catch, um, uh, uh, that he might create in himself. You're created for this. Might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. 
A people, this new kind of people has reconciliation. Um, It it is a unifying uh, uh, force in their life and the hostility is dead. And that only happens through the gospel. If we settle for some sort of substitute, there's kind of a low grade flame always burning of hostility. God doesn't want us to have a low grade flame of hostility underneath it that that can pop up at any time. He wants to put that thing to death. That's what he says. A new kind of people is created. How would you know that this is the case? Just some diagnostic questions. Think about these. Are your relationships marked by tolerance or peace? Um, How about this one? Is your attitude towards someone different than you genuine or is it forced? How about this one? Can you genuinely wish God's best for someone else? And the parentheses that goes with that is without defining what that best would look like. Otherwise, you're just expressing your preference on them. Or to say it positively, can you say about those around you and those with you, those that you walk with, hey, I really like what God does and who God is seen to be when we're together. Two become one. Um, I, I'm going to kind of point back to the gospels here, what Jesus said. Uh, when two become one, there, there's something really important here. Even though we're not kin, we're still very much blood relatives here. And I say that specifically this way because it is the blood of Jesus that unites us. It is the blood of Jesus that makes the two into one new man. It's not an organization. There's not enough uh, charisma in the room right now to draw people like. It is the blood of Jesus that unites us. It is the blood of Jesus that draws us together. We really are blood relatives. And and so uh, Jesus said it this way in Mark chapter 3. Uh, Verse 31, I think it's going to pop up on the screen here. Mark chapter 3, he's got some folks around him and he says this. uh, um, They're calling for him. One of the ways that... uh, um, his family interacted with him was, hey, uh, you okay? Because we think you might be a little crazy. Um, and they called for him. They said, hey, come out and talk to us. Make sure you're, not, you're okay. And here's the crowd said to him, your mother and your brothers are seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking around at those who said around him, uh, looking about at those who said around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. We, what, what unites them was following Jesus. Sprint, about three or four years ago, probably now, came out with this idea. Uh, they had a, a plan, this, the um, cellular group uh, company had a plan for friends and family and what they call it? Framily. Anybody remember that? That's what church is, Framily. It is the fulfillment of, of Proverbs 18.24. There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Um, th- this happened for us yesterday. We celebrated five years with our littlest one. And if you were around five years ago, uh, you know that things went sideways shortly thereafter. She was sick, really sick in the hospital. Um, one of the guys in the room right now, uh, just he'd show up with vanilla Dr. Peppers to keep us caffeinated. It's incredible, family. One of the guys in the room right now um, uh, said, hey, listen, uh, I'm between jobs right now. I know you got to sleep. I'll come up and sit in the ICU from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. so that y'all can sleep. Incredible. What a gift. And outside of maybe two or three days where it was medically necessary, I mean, that's what happened. 
At one point, the nurse, her name was Ashley, Ashley looked at me and goes, hey, is your brother coming up tonight? I said, as a matter of fact, he is. She said, y'all don't look alike. I said, same dad, different moms. <laughs> Two things happened. Number one, that ended the conversation right there. Secondly, it expressed the spiritual truth. Same dad. Same father. We're, we're family. That's what we are. This is church. Thirdly, the, the displaced have a place to belong. Look at verse 17 and 18. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. Peace to those who are far off, peace to those who are near. Let's stop there for just a second because we don't want to miss that. The displaced have a place to belong, okay? And here's the thing on that. That what Jesus is bringing to the table, what he is offering is that you and I would have peace. That's it. Peace is the offer. Now, some of you would not describe your life like that. Some of you would not describe the, your church experience like that. The reason you are just now coming back is because of something that happened 15 years ago. I don't want to negate those experiences at all. I just want to say church at its best is, is church where peace, if you will, reigns, where this wholeness, this sense of shalom reigns. The displaced have a place to belong. And peace is the offer. What's one of the big obstacles to that? It's religion that declares one set of sins or one particular sin is, is more taboo than the others. That's a real obstacle to peace being the offer. Why, why, why do you hammer that? Why are we talking about that here? Because if, if religion offers... Uh, uh, and puts this obstacle in the way that, hey, uh, um, you know, your set of sins, like that, that separates me because I don't like the way that you're sinning. So that's going to separate me from you. Or you don't like my, or hey, you don't sin in the same way that I do. And so you, your sin is more taboo than mine. Here's a question. Which sins are taboo? Somebody? How many? Therefore, nobody gets a pass. Those who are far off from God, you know what they need? Peace preached to them. And those who grew up right here but are, are, are near, but their sin is still taboo to God, their pride, their selfishness, their self-righteousness, whatever it is, they need peace preached to them. If you're sinning out there or sinning in here, it's all taboo. We all need the same peace preached to us. And that's what he offers us. Those who are displaced have a place to belong. But not just that, also access. Look at verse 18. For through him... We both, Jew and Gentile, both have access in one spirit, okay? So um, access, not only peace, but also access. And, and what, what does that mean? It means that we're not just tolerated, we're welcomed. Not just tolerated, we're welcomed. The picture in my mind that, that distinguishes between the two is like this. You're standing at the airport watching this stuff unfold, right? There's a guy in a black hat and a black suit who's bored, more or less. He's got a sign that says, Mr. Jones. All right? Mr. Jones walks out of the secured area. He goes, hey, I'm Jones. Oh, Mr. Jones, nice to meet you. Can I get your bag? Okay, follow me, please. And then they go off, right? It's a job. It's tolerated. It's, it's a guy 
picking a guy up so he can get him somewhere, right? Then you've got dad and two little kids over here who are waiting on mom to come back from visiting her parents. Now, the dad is waiting on mom for one reason, and the kids are waiting on mom for a separate reason. Dad's just like, thank you so much for coming home. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Right, but they're waiting, right? And mom clears the secure area, and we just, I mean, like half a heartbeat from having a whole incident that makes the news because these kids bust past TSA. They don't care about the little um, uh, stanchions there with the ropes and the belts. and that. They're going for mom. Why? They're just so excited that mom has come home. So you've got this one guy, Jones. Come with me, Mr. Jones. And you've got like, mom's home! And off they go and jump and climb and get on the luggage and make it harder to pull. I mean, they do all of that kind of stuff. One is tolerated and one is welcomed. It's through Jesus that we have, both of us, Jews, Gentiles, those far off and those near, through Jesus that we have access. But it's not... It's not access like, hey, I'll just scan the card and move. It's welcome. We are welcomed. And then lastly, it's the Father that makes the offer. That's what he says. So then you're no, uh, sorry, verse 18. For through him we, have, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. In one spirit to the Father. The Father makes the offer. And by necessity... If he's a father, what does he have? A family. That's what makes a father. He is making a family because he is a father. And then he wants his family to reflect his love. And I, the the kind of oneness, the kind of belonging, the kind of embrace, the kind of welcome that we talk about here, when we talk about church's family, is the kind of welcome, is the kind of embrace that, that, is, uh, that is both unifying and reflective of who God is, but also, listen, it is magnetic to a world that does not have it. It is magnetic to a world that is devoid of it. When we love well, when we pursue God and love well, it is magnetic to those who are around us. There are people who come to this place right here, who sit in this room and other rooms, and they just want to hang around because of what's going on here. They don't believe what we believe. They don't confess the things that we confess. But man, they they want to hang around because they like what's going on. So maybe three weeks ago or so, I was sitting having lunch with a friend of mine who's not a believer. We helped him during Harvey. We're uh, over near NASA, uh, over near JSC, um, having lunch at a Persian place. Sitting there eating, I'm sharing the gospel with him. And he goes, look, I don't believe what you believe. I don't. But I keep coming because you guys say that you love one another and that you love me and my family, and you do. Smell that? That's the kingdom right there. That's what that is. I said, you better be ready. Because one of these days, God's going to run you over like a freight train. All right. (laughs) What that means, but okay. I'm just, when, when we love well, it is a magnet. It is a magnet to those. And they have a sense that they can belong here even before they believe. 
And then God goes at work through the belonging in order to believe. So how do we go about living this out? How do we go live? I'll just give you two things to think about. Ready? Number one, um, we, we do not isolate. We integrate instead. Don't isolate. Integrate. What do you mean by that? I mean this, that our lives, because church is family, our lives can be connected to one another. It is difficult in this room right here to be connected to one another. Everybody's staring at the back of somebody else's head, looking at a guy with the microphone on stage. It is difficult. Listen, um, we all need relationships. I'll talk more about that in just a second. The way that we work that as a ministry here in the church is through our uh, um, groups. And so in your bulletin, I think is an insert. If not, there's some at the back table. I know, um, where it just talks about the groups that we have that meet Sunday morning, during the week, and other times. And so um, we, we want to encourage you um, to be connected to a group of some kind, to a circle of some kind, a Sunday school class, a small group, or a Bible study. And we want you here. That is the best expression of church as family. That's what it is. And if you need help doing that, we are happy to do that. But I wanted to point that out. Don't isolate yourselves. The thing, I mean, if... If you sit in this room and this is the only expression of church that you know and that you have, you don't have anybody to call when things go sideways. Church is family. We got a few crazy uncles in here, it's true. And if you don't know who they are, guess what? Probably you, okay, but... But we're connected, we're tied in, we're committed to one another. Church is family. Don't isolate, instead integrate. Secondly, we need each other. This is how we go live. We need each other. And here's the part, and don't be afraid to admit that. Don't be afraid to admit that. Some of us are like, oh man, I just, I'm better on my own. Eh, not really. Paul, the apostle who wrote this letter in the, in the next chapter says this, if we're gonna understand the height and breadth and depth and width of the love of God, then we have to be strengthened together with all of the saints. In some sense, we don't get a sense of just how high or just how wide or just how deep or just how broad God's love is without us. Without us. In Romans chapter one, he tells the Romans, hey, I'm coming to see you and man, I hope to impart a spiritual gift to you and I hope to receive encouragement from you. Paul the apostle He needed the church. If it's true for Paul, guess what? Probably true for you too. Don't be afraid to say it. We need each other. Men need men in here. You need friends. You need people who will walk with you, who will check on you, who will be your brother, who will um, uh, stay with you. Women need women in here who will walk with you, be with you. When you get frustrated with something going on, you You need those people in your life. There are younger people in here who don't know how to tie a tie. Men, we need to teach them. They don't need to learn from you too. Women, there are people in here who need your expertise in some way. And so you need to step into their world. We need each other. And we don't need to be afraid to say that. Why? Because church is family. Church is family. It's not always easy. To be family. Anybody? But church is family. And God has united us in Jesus. So I'm going to pray for us. And then we will have just a moment to respond, okay?